do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. Knowledge ideas, perspectives, and research insights on topics that matter. Business advice for better decisions and growth. Latest on the world of innovation and ideas. A look inside a global world beyond borders and an open view on social challenges. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.isade.edu. Hello and welcome to this podcast uh, organized by Sade Geo, the Sade Center on Global Economy and Geopolitics. Today is February 2nd, 2023, and we're here in Madrid with uh, our good friend and energy expert, Samantha Gross. Uh, our idea is to have a short conversation with her, uh, making, taking full advantage of her visit to Europe from Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C., and, um, and be able to talk about energy, climate, and many other matters with her. Samantha Gross is the Director of Energy Security and Climate Initiative at Brookings Institution. Uh, she has a vast experience in energy policy and energy and international affairs and in climate change policies. She has published uh, extensively in the field of energy uh, policy and energy and international affairs. I truly recommend her podcast at the Brookings Institution uh, with the first, uh, the first edition or the first uh, uh, season of podcasts. So make sure you uh, check them out. Yeah, it's called Climate Sense and it's available on Apple or Spotify or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Exactly. So uh, I truly recommend that podcast. Thanks. So um, uh, Samantha has been collaborating with us for a long time. So we were very thankful of her contributions to our work at the Sadegeo on energy and climate and in particular geopolitics and global energy policy. And today we want to talk about many different things, but in particular, perhaps the Inflation Reduction Act and that important piece of legislation coming out from Washington, D.C., which uh, passed uh, last summer in 2022 and which uh, is the main uh, policy in climate change historically for the United States. So um, perhaps we can start off there, Samantha. What, tell us a little bit about the Inflation Reduction Act, what it means for energy and climate. Sure. The Inflation Reduction Act is the biggest piece of climate legislation the U.S. has ever seen. That's a good place to start. It has about $390 billion um, towards climate programs. And most of this is really in the form of subsidies, in the form of carrots. And there are carrots available for all kinds of people, for regular consumers to electrify their homes or buy electric vehicles, for various kinds of manufacturing and industry, for batteries, renewable electricity generation equipment, for building out hydrogen infrastructure, and for the production and mining of critical minerals. So it's really focused on all kinds of things involved with the energy transition, and there's a little something for everybody. Another couple of things that, that I find good and exciting about the act is that it's very often technology neutral. Rather than saying we want specific technologies, um, it focuses on zero carbon electricity, for instance, instead of saying wind or solar specifically. It can include nuclear, geothermal, other forms of zero carbon electricity. 
Um, it also talks about hydrogen in terms of the CO2 emissions that are emitted when it's produced and doesn't focus on how you make it, only that it's low emissions. And so there are some ways that its technology neutrality is good. Um, and the third thing I'll say about it is that it's really focused on innovation, which is great. That tends to be something that the U.S. Um, excels at. And so there are quite a few programs in it that focus on green energy and emissions reductions innovation, um, particularly through funding for loan guarantees, for instance, to advance new energy technologies. So um, it's exciting to see. It's huge. It involves a lot of money, and it sprinkles it across a lot of different areas. So uh, that's very interesting. And um, if you compare that that approach to uh, climate change policy um, to other places, like, for example, the European Union, how does that regulatory or legislative approach compare with what we're doing in the European Union? It's quite different. And the, the reasons are, are mostly political. It's just not possible in the US to do European style climate policy that's focused on regulation and on the EU emissions trading system. Um, we don't have the votes to pass something like that in the US. So really the only tool available to us is subsidies. And so naturally you see a lot of subsidies now that we're taking this seriously, um, rather than the carbon pricing and the regulation that's more common in the EU. So it has to do a lot with our politics, why it looks so different. Okay. Uh, so uh, with respect to the EU as well, there has been quite some fuzz in terms of how the EU has reacted to the IRA. Just yesterday there was a proposed legislation at the EU level uh, trying to forward or respond to the IRA with our own green subsidies. Uh, that's still to be pending for a political discussion here at the EU. But how do you evaluate uh, the response of many European countries and the EU institutions themselves to the IRA? Yeah, and it's not, it hasn't just been the, e, the EU that has been frustrated with it. I, I've heard a lot of complaints from friends in Asia as well. Um, the complaints are primarily are twofold. They're about the level of subsidies and that industries will come to the United States instead of Europe or Asia because we have such high subsidies that will attract all this industry. Um, the other complaint is that there are parts of the IRA that are quite protectionist, that focus on buying U.S. products and the subsidies only available to products, you know, produced or or refined, et cetera, in the United States or in countries with which we have free trade agreements, which notably does not include the EU. And so I, I get these complaints. I understand them, particularly the protectionist parts. Um, part of the reason why it turned it out this way is frankly that folks in the US and in the US Congress are really obsessed with China. And I don't think they intended to cause problems with our, our European friends with this law so much as to compete more effectively with China and to have some industrial policy, given that China really does in industrial policy. So I, I think some of the, the concerns in Europe were a, a little inadvertent and maybe not thought enough much when the law was put together. But on the other hand, the fact that it's done with primarily with subsidies was the way it was going to go the whole time. Because we don't have the political will to 
go into our environmental laws to change them to really be focused on climate or to pass a, a serious carbon tax. It, we don't have the politics to do that. Um, we can only subsidize. So what she gets, a lot of subsidies. Okay. So uh, you mentioned before the, the technological neutrality, which is embedded in the IRA. Um, how has the industry at large or the different, the different uh, sectors within the energy industry reacted to the IRA? You know, the energy industry has been pretty positive about it. And I think there's something here for everybody to like. The fact that it's technology neutral means that some technologies that had been excluded before, such as nuclear, are now included, which is important. Um, the oil and gas industry is excited about the fact that there are subsidies for carbon capture and storage, carbon capture, storage, and use perhaps there. They're excited about the technology neutral hydrogen subsidies. If they can make hydrogen from natural gas, and store the, the resulting CO2 or use it for something, um, they can get the credit as well. And so the technology neutrality means that there's a little something in it for everybody. And so I think that makes it politically more palatable. In addition to, we need all of the technologies. I don't think we, we have such a difficult problem to solve. I don't think we should really be in the business of excluding whole swaths of technology. Um, if it works, we probably need it. And I like the fact that the law acknowledges that. Good. And any opposition the, the, the law has had from any particular industry or sector? Um, it, it's been overwhelmingly pretty positive. Um, there are definitely some who are less on the bandwagon with various parts of it. Um, the U.S. auto industry is mostly down with electric vehicles, and so we haven't heard so much of that from the U.S. industry. Um, it's really been most, mostly positive, and I think because it's so ecumenical in the way it spreads money around. So one of the things I understand the IRA doesn't cover is permitting. No. And so permitting is a big issue on both sides of the Atlantic, and, and there has been um, attempts to try to streamline permitting. So what is the, the, the state of permitting for these large new projects or and renewable energy projects and other sustainable energy projects in the U.S. right now? I think that permitting is the biggest barrier to achieving the good things we could get out of the IRA. Um, it is very difficult to build projects in the U.S. Um, the permitting process is, is quite balkanized for many of these projects with state and local authorities in addition to federal. And it's just hard to build things. When the law passed, it was really interesting to get a particular last senator on board, and the Democrats needed all of them. Um, a deal was made that permitting reform would be brought to a vote on the floor of the Senate. But the problem was Republicans that had generally supported it were mad about the, about the law passing and voted against it, basically out of spite. So we're right back where we were when we started. But um, in order to do the energy transition, we need to build stuff and, and, and big things, transmission lines, big renewable energy projects, um, infrastructure for hydrogen, mines for the minerals that we'll need. Um, and in order to, we need to permit those big things we need to build. And so I'm hoping we can find a way to get reform um, through Congress um, so we can actually build the things that we'll need to make the transition that the IRA is trying to push along. 
All right. And perhaps one of the last questions. So how does the IRA play out in energy geopolitics? So what could be the effects for the world and for energy security of the different regions and, and for energy geopolitics at large? It's a great question because right now the Europeans are not happy with us. And it's not just the Europeans. I've had folks from Japan, Korea, um, Singapore in my office back in Washington complaining about the, the IRA's protectionist and the level of the subsidies. And um, that could be difficult. My hope is that we can foster an understanding that this was the way it needed to be. There wasn't another way to do serious climate policy in the United States. And that we can find a way to work constructively, to compete constructively, um, to push the energy transition along. Um, I can't change US politics, but I can try to explain where they came from and to encourage our friends and our allies to find ways to, to compete constructively with us and to work with us with the law that we have. Okay, very interesting, Samantha. So I think this has been a very clarifying, yet so. brief uh, conversation so. into a fascinating topic that we're gonna be uh, hearing a lot about, and we are all very interesting to see how it, it unfolds, the Inflation Reduction Act. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thanks. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do better.